we're carrying on in the Exodus series, and uh, it's the Israelites of what we've come to so far. The Israelites have come through the Red Sea as God parted it with the promised land ahead of them. They've, they've seen God do incredible things. The plagues came, 10 plagues, and after years of oppression and, and suppression, and then they enjoyed the freedom, and they come out of the Red Sea, amazing moment, and then last week Ashley helped us so, so wonderfully to see Moses and Miriam's song of praise to God. And the, the, the part of that was this, God is majestic in power, awesome in glory, and holy, And in other words, the songs were all about God. And so now the people of God are setting out on this promised land. And today we're going to look at the wilderness. And, um, you know, preachers normally go for around 35 minutes, right? Something around that figure. I'm just putting in a little caveat because I'm now going to open the Bible to Exodus chapter 15. And we're reading right through to Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, which I think takes about seven minutes Right, so don't come too hard at me if we go over a little bit, right? Seven minutes is a lot of words. But if, if, if you've got, it'll be on the screen, I'm sure that, yes, it, I'm sure it will be. But, you know, you've got a phone or a Bible, that'd be good to turn to that. So I'll read it and uh, try and keep up if you can. So Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 onwards. <clears throat> it says this, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur, For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. Of course, that pronunciation may not be quite right, but anyway. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, and if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Short memories, eh? Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. 
Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want, to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are and on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought, it out, when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to keep for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. I doubt that helps much. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock 
die of thirst. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because, the te- the, because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? A lot of words there. That felt like a real test, to be honest. I felt like I was back at school. <laughs> I didn't do that well there either, but there we are. A lot of words. But anyway, the journey really matters. Have you ever been on a long, epic journey? Maybe a journey that took lots of twists and turns. Some of us in here, I've had conversations with some of you people who love a journey, who love a long-distance journey. They're on a journey. Maybe... For us as well, what's not quite the journey you expected or even wanted? And I'm not much of a traveller. I was in a conversation with a couple of guys in this church and they were telling me about trips to Peru and the Far East. And uh, I couldn't add anything because I've hardly ever been outside the M25 except for a package holiday once in a while. We're all different, right? Anyway... Extreme journeys, nothing though, all the conversations about Peru and anywhere else, nothing compares to the journey of these Israelite people. And remember, this is one chapter on from the remarkable deliverance moment out of Egypt, away from their oppressors and seeing the Egyptian army destroyed. A journey out of Egypt and into a promised land flowing with milk and honey. They would know that the journey across a desert would be harsh and inhospitable. But it's a two-step process, right? Out of Egypt and into the promised land. Step one, it's accomplished. They're through. Two-step process. And it would seem, you would imagine, the most difficult part of the journey is already completed. After all, God has sent ten plagues to show what Pharaoh, show Pharaoh who is God and then parts the Red Sea enabling all the Israelites to go through whilst the sea closes behind the Egyptian army. And geographically, the journey, although it's in a harsh environment, is not that tricky. It's 200 miles across the desert. And they had God's presence through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire leading them and a promise in their hearts of the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Now they're in the desert, no water and no food. Gone from a real great high to a real low, no drink. Wondering, it's better to be dead, I'd rather be dead than put us through this, Moses. Have you ever had that sort of experience of a real high and then a real low quite quickly? I think that can happen to any one of us. And God takes them on a long and bizarre route. All the Israelites are really interested in is the destination. We want to get to this land of milk and honey, this promised land. But God has another agenda. And they actually start off in the wrong direction. Now, they're being led by God, but they're starting off which would appear in the wrong direction. They should be going northeast, but God takes them south. 
You can't really, by comparison, go too far south from here. <laughs> I've worked that out anyway, the while I've been here. But it's a bit like saying your destination is Cardiff and you're going via Norwich. That's the sort of comparison for us. But there's so much more at stake than just the destination. The journey really matters. And I know for some of us, for me sometimes, I think, I want to go over there. I just need to get there. But somehow, I'm not even going in the right direction, or we're not even going in the right direction. It might be about your career, or your family life, or relationships, or even how God is using you in the church. Remember, it is God who's leading the people of God. He's leading these Israelites. And it's the same for us. He leads us. How many times have you been in a situation that you're perplexed, you're challenged about? I know I've been there before, long periods of time, and wondering, what are you doing, God? Then you look back and you see the hand of God in all that's going on, what he's done in your character. Sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's painful, it's not an enjoyable experience, but God is at work, and God is at work in his people through this journey. And he's after a completely different type of people, a new people. And that is what God is doing in our lives. You became a Christian. For some of us, it was this year. For others, it was decades ago. You understood that Jesus lived the perfect life. He alone could pay the debt that each of us owe because of our sin. And he paid by dying on the cross. His blood shed for us. Then he rose from the grave and sat at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. He gave us new life, connected to God, a relationship with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you might think, why not end it there? This is incredible. When I say end it there, I mean continue with these great heights of, um, wow, this is amazing. Every day I'm in, the, I'm in these heavenly realms before God. Well, life doesn't always stay that way, does it? That honeymoon experience generally doesn't continue forever and ever because it's more than just the destination. We're his workmanship, and he is making us more like Jesus. And that's a great thing, isn't it? He's making us more like Jesus. And why? Because he wants to bring glory to God, to point others to Jesus, to refine us. And it's in those difficult times that we can reflect more of Jesus and therefore point to him and to his glory. It is about the destination, but it is about so much more. It's about changing you, giving you freedom, transforming your life. God wants to bring out in you and me everything that he planned and desired, and there's a journey. His plan is so superior to mine and yours, full stop. God wants to work on the hearts of his people. It's a lifelong process, and he's not in a hurry. Sometimes I'm in a hurry. I want things today. I want things tomorrow. God's not in a hurry. And God takes the Israelites into the wilderness for a long time, 40 years, but he is leading them. What is your wilderness? Are you in a wilderness situation right now? Take heart. God is at work. It's not always explicit what God is doing in, in these situations. Sometimes we can look back 
and we understand. And there are other times we can look back and still not understand. But God is leading us and he has a purpose. God reveals the purpose, though, of the wanderings in the wilderness. It is like we go fast forward to the book of Deuteronomy and it gives us the perfect commentary on the wilderness story. Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 3 says this. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Here is the reason for their wilderness journey. God is testing his people, causing humility to be a vital part of who they are. God is revealing through this journey the condition of their heart, because our heart reveals who we really are. When, difficult, when difficulties come, when pressure is on, well, we find out what's in our hearts. Matthew 15, verse 18 says this, But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. And these words reveal who we are. Because when we're under pressure, we say and do things we probably regret and would wish we could take it back, but we can't. We, me and Jenny, do this uh, marriage prep stuff for people who, before they get married, we chat to them and go through some stuff. And we always say the pressure comes. When you get married, oh, if you think you've got some pressure now, the rubber hits the road when you get married. <laughs> this, I'm speaking from experience, and I'm sure your experience is too, right? The pressure comes because that sanctifying process is at work, hard at work in our lives, but not just in those settings. When we're facing illness and sickness, when we're facing disappointment, when we're facing those sort of things, the wilderness tests us because it's all to bring glory to God. How you deal with these events really matters. When everything's going well, really smooth, everything's perfect, you've got the best holiday plans, you've got everything working in your favour, well, praise God for those times. They're wonderful blessings from God. But when we're struggling with stuff, issues, challenges in our lives, and when we follow Jesus, it brings such glory to him. And the world looks on and goes, how do they manage this? Because of Jesus pointing to him. Sometimes I might think, well, where did that angry thought come from? Or that cutting remark, that unkind action? Well, according to this, the Bible, what we've just read, it comes from our hearts and the wilderness tests us. Or I should say, through the wilderness experience, God tests us. Wilderness is the workshop of our character. This usually takes time. Don't despise the wilderness experience that you may be facing. God is refining you. And what was the response of God's people? Well, they went from singing for joy, as we learned last week, to grumbling and complaining. To be fair, three days without water is tough to take. And it seems appropriate for me to have a little drink, to be honest. <laughs> three days. 
I wonder what I'll be doing. But anyway, three days without water. Exodus 15, 24 says, So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? The grumbling and complaining gathers momentum. Exodus 16, 3 and 4. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Very dramatic words there. Three days though. Then God speaks to Moses. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. I will provide for my people. Moses tells the Israelites this and tells them, you will see God's glory. 600,000 men plus women and children fed every day. Right there, that's the glory of God. And Moses reminds them, it's not me you're complaining about, but it's God himself. Even Moses, it seems, you could say had a little bit of a moan. Then Moses cried out, it says, to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. For the Israelites, they look back with rose-coloured spectacles. At least we knew what to expect. There is something comforting about familiarity. They fantasised about the past. And we too can look back with false memories. It was better when, the good old days when this happened. I'd, I'd do it myself. I guess it's a trait when you get a bit older, you can do that. When you're in your 20s, it's not so relevant perhaps. But anyway, of course, there's a big difference between complaining and having a different view or perspective. It's really all about the heart, which is of the most concern for God. I know I can complain from time to time, sometimes about the most insignificant things, other times things that really matter. Following Jesus is tough. It's a long journey, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's not make any mistakes. The people of God were in a very difficult place. I think God wants us in those wilderness moments not to complain, but to lament instead. Instead of, God, what are you doing? I'm done with this. You've let me down. Or speaking to others, I'm done with God. He didn't come through with me. And nor did you. You even let me down. Rather, we come to God empty-handed. You are God and I'm not. Though the distress some experiencing fill me with trouble, though I feel alone, I cry out to you, deliver me, rescue me. You're the mighty God. Stretch out your hand. I don't understand, but I will trust you. We're invited to lament. The Psalms are full of it. They're our, our, we can use those to lament before God and speak to God, but not complain. The difference is this. Complain really speaks of entitlement. Whereas lament is an emotional response. Where we respond to God in accordance with his character and his promises. Complaint primarily is horizontal to people. And lament is vertical to God. And it's always best to go to God. God is after bringing the Israelites to a place of trusting in him. God tests them and it reveals their heart. But before we get to what God is doing in their hearts, we can see the grace of God and the provision of God through this story as he provides manna day in, day out for 40 years for hundreds of thousands of people 
just the right amount, not too much. Those who went and gathered lots, well, it counted no more for those who could have a, only gather a little. Just the right amount, exactly what each family needed. Exodus 16, verses 13 to 18. Then that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. His greatness and glory displayed. His kindness and care. He cared for the multitude and he cared for the individual. God is amazing. No payment is required, just the goodness and grace of God. Undeserved, unmerited, just the display of God, just the display of his love to his people. God has not dealt with them as they deserved. He graciously provides, and he is the same today. He provides and will continue to provide for you. Exodus 16, verses 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they are to bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gathered on the other days. He's calling them to trust. The testing is to bring the Israelites to a place of trust. This has not pl taken place to trip them up and shout at them like an angry father. See, I knew you would fail. That's not the heart of God. God sends out an invitation. Trust me. Manna requires trust in God. Some took more than a day's worth and it was ruined by the next day, full of maggots. In other words, don't trust your own efforts. You don't need to scheme. Just follow the instructions of God. God is helping his people in this setting to trust him daily. And the call is the same for you and I today. Lord, give us our daily bread. We can easily drift back to independence. His instruction is best for your life and mine, over everything, over every circumstance. Your wilderness, in your loneliness, in sickness, in suffering, in financial difficulties... Where are you relying? We need to rely on the resources of God. And God is saying to the Israelites, trust me when all in front of you is uncertain. Obedience to Jesus can be hard and challenging, but it's worth it. We only really know, like the Israelites, what our faith is like, how far it goes when it's put to the test. So embrace it. When a test comes, embrace it. God, what are you doing? Find out. Get to God. And humility is what God is after in the Israelite people. The Sabbath is declared and it is saying, you are God and not me. And it brings us to a place of humility. You provide God and not me. We read earlier in Deuteronomy that humility was one of the reasons of the wilderness experience. 
God says to his people, take twice the amount, rest, it's all down to me. It's good to be out of resources. It humbles us. God, your way and not mine. It stops us saying, look at my achievements. Look what I've done. I did all this. I'm amazing. I know we don't normally say that, but we might think it. Anything we have is all from God. Any gifts, any talents, all from God. Therefore, I and you have nothing to boast in. It's really important. During lockdown, probably like you, maybe like you, I was in lots of meetings. I think in lockdown, if you had an office-type context, they make up meetings just so we could be busy, do something. That's my experience. (laughs) I was working for a church, so. But anyway, and I had a sign on my desk. It said this, be humble, be kind, speak less. And that was out of experience of all these meetings kept thinking, my opinion counts. I've got something to say on this. I want to be heard. God opposes the proud. It's an enemy of faith. It leads to independence. And I want to be more dependent on God today than I was yesterday. And I want to be more dependent on God tomorrow than I am today. And Jesus needs to be our all in all for that to take place. And as we've said before, Moses is a forerunner of Jesus, a type of Jesus. Not the full picture, clearly, but a pointer towards Jesus. And Moses, on two occasions, under the instructions of God, provides water. You might not remember all of the passage I read, but one bit said, by throwing a piece of wood in the water to make the, make the, wood that, the water that was bitter drinkable. And the second time, by striking the rock at Horeb. Incessant water flowing out enough to satisfy the multitudes, the hundreds of thousands. You can just read these verses, can't you, and go, oh, they all had something to drink. And then you look at the numbers and you think, this is amazing what God has done. These thousands and thousands of people being given water right in that moment. God meets their needs at that time through Moses. Their needs were met in that moment. Their physical needs were met. Then God rained down heaven from manna to meet their needs for 40 years. Just to come back to those verses in Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 3. Teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. These are the words Jesus quoted when he was in the wilderness for 40 days. And Jesus' wilderness, he faced all that the Israelites faced and all that we faced. Yet without the grumbling, pointing to his father. Jesus gave himself fully on the cross. He experienced hunger and thirst that we don't have to. In John 6, 35, it says this. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. And then it goes on to say, then the crowd grumbled. Familiar story there. Then Jesus answers their grumbling in John 6, 48 to 51. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. 
This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Moses struck the rock at Horeb. There's all the complaining go on. And met the first of the people in that moment. Uh, Someone has done the maths and said the amount of water required for that moment was three Olympic-sized swimming pools. The glory of God right there. And then Jesus says in John 7, 37 to 39, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus satisfies wholly, utterly, and completely. Jesus Jesus offered to come to him and find satisfaction completely. If I have Jesus' approval, I don't need anyone else's. Jesus meets our deepest needs. He meets our deepest needs at all times. Our our identity is in him. Jesus gives us fulfilment. He forgives us. No shame, no guilt. Jesus is our all in all. He is our shepherd, our saviour, our redeemer. He is the bread of life of which we are to fully partake and receive eternal life, not just a full stomach. And Jesus takes us out of the misery of death and sin, and all of our fullness is in him. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. We're coming towards the end now, but in Exodus 17, again, there was no water. So the whole community complained. We need water. We're going to die. Moses cried out to God who instructed him to strike the rock with the same staff that he used to strike the Nile. And for us, that rock rock was struck was the rock of Christ, was Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, For the Israelites drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. What happened at the rock of Horeb was a picture, a pointer to the cross. And at the cross, the great court case between God and humanity came to its climax. The perfect, sinless Christ, Jesus the rock, God said, strike the rock on Jesus. Strike the staff on Jesus on the cross. The sinless one, the son of God, took our punishment. Jesus is both the bread who satisfies our needs, but he's also the rock who bears our judgment, mine and yours. There are so many connections through this passage and point to Jesus so conclusively. And last week, we took a bit of time, a moment to reflect, to remember all that God has done in our lives. And it's a theme through the Bible to remember. We can have short memories. I know that I have a short memory. I certainly can be like the Israelites some of the time and forget what God has done even last week. But God calls us to keep coming back. In Exodus 16, verse 33, So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. And we're going to participate in communion. Toby, if you wouldn't mind coming up, please.
And we have so much to remember, don't we? We have so much to celebrate. The generations to come had this omer of bread in a glass jar in some way, shape or form to remember what had gone on before. But we have so much to remember before God today, don't we? It says this, We're going to take communion, and uh, I'll read these verses, and yeah, we're going to stand in a moment, but let me read the verses. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 